Happy Friday, friends. This is May 13th, 2022. And I know you're all thinking, well, where is Philip? But he is um, skipping out on this inter- or this podcast today. And um, so we are, I'm here with a guest. And before I introduce her, um, we just want to thank y'all for listening to The Klein Files. All right. So my guest today is none other than the Jane Holmes from Georgia. I know that um, many of our listeners have heard about you because you're um, mentioned several times. Obviously, you work cases with us. So um, anyways, tell us a little bit about yourself. Good afternoon. I am Jane Holmes or aka MJ or aka Patty. Patty Lane. (laughs) I have a lot of names and I've been accused a lot of times of hiding on Facebook or using a fake profile on Facebook, but it's not a fake profile. That is me. And so today they get to hear the real you and how you work and what all of it means. Exactly. So um, I have a company in Atlanta called Patricia Lane Investigations, and that's where I get the the shortened version, Patty Lane. Uh, a lot of people call me P.I. Patty. <laughs> I've been called G.I. Jane. Yes. <laughs> I've been G. called I. a Jane's lot of a, things. A, a good one. Yes. So um, I have an agency in Atlanta. I'm also licensed under my agency. I'm licensed under uh, client investigations in Texas, and I'm also licensed in the state of Alabama. They don't have agency licensing in Alabama, so I just have an individual license in Alabama, and I do cases in all three states. So, um, And she's versed in the amount of cases that she does. I think a lot of our viewers and listeners probably know you best from... Um, our missing person cases and yes. and the cases that we do um, through client investigations, but mm-hmm. you have a whole different set of I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but a whole different set of expertise um, that not many people know about. So. Right. So in in my practice in Atlanta, I, I'm a full service agency, but I mostly Um, I'd say 80% of my business is criminal defense investigations. Um, I I work a lot in the courts. I look, I work for many attorneys, both in the state superior and federal courts and mostly in the criminal defense arena. I also work civil cases, divorces, um, torts, uh, you name it in the civil courts, custody. Um, I personally don't do a lot of surveillance myself. I used to do that a lot and, um, it's not my cup of tea. I don't like sitting in a hot car. It's all not day. my cup of tea either. If you think it's if you think it's cool and fun, it's really. I mean, some people that's that's what they love to do, but not me. So um, most of my work, like I said, is with attorneys in courthouses, and and I am considered um, the interview specialist. Uh, Phillips always called me his interview specialist. Yes, you do great interviewing. Just in general, the type of interviewing that you do, and you draw information from people that. Otherwise, others can't. So, yeah, that's what I've been told. And and I started my interviewing back in um, 2008 when I first got licensed. I'm a former realtor and uh, the housing market collapsed in, you know, the 2007, 8, 9 and 10. It was a disaster. And so it was not a good time to be a realtor at the time. Mm-hmm. So what I did, um, 
I was in the investigative business. I was married into the investigative business and we started getting mortgage fraud investigations from mortgage insurance company to determine um, different companies around the country to determine if there was any fraud in the application process. And in that we had to a locate people, locate individuals, locate employers, locate um, um, borrowers, especially and do neighbor canvassing and interview borrowers to determine what they provided to the broker and what was um, to the uh, mortgage broker. And if there was any knowledge of misrepresentation in the file, and if there was knowledge by the mortgage broker of any fraud or misrepresentation, then the mortgage insurance companies could deny the insurance claim. So that just sounds complicated. (laughs) It's probably really really easy. It was easy for me because I was used, I was, you know, very versed in the real estate Mm -hmm. market and, and the loan application process. I was never a mortgage broker, but I was um, always in the real estate section of it. But in the process of locating and and interviewing people, I literally single-handedly did close to a thousand mortgage fraud cases Mm-hmm. over the course of several years. And in that I conducted hundreds and hundreds of interviews and I was getting information from people that, that um, they would not normally give to people. And I've always, sometimes some people just have a knack for talking to people. I think I got that from my dad. He could sit in the mall for five minutes as kids and we could come back and he'd have five new friends and he'd know everything about them. He was very, approachable, very congenial. And that's the way I look at interviews is the non-confrontational approach to an interview. Um, I've had people tell me, um, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I don't know why I just told you my whole story. I just feel like I can talk to you. I've had many people tell me that. So, you know, I, I don't go at them, um, in a, um, um, adversarial manner. I don't, I'm not threatening. Um, I, I really don't give them a fake story of why I want the information. I'm pretty honest with them. Mm-hmm. So with that, I got a lot of um, cooperation in interviews. So in the, you know, and most of my business is word of mouth. I don't advertise. So um, attorneys call me all the time, say, hey, I need you to interview some witnesses in a defense case. I got involved in criminal defense work hmm, about 2015. And it's just exploded since then, mostly word of mouth. Well, I think, I mean, I could see why, because the, the world these days is just insane. It is insane. <laughs> it is. And so I, I did want to talk a little bit about criminal defense work today, because um, I have so many people tell me all the time, I can't believe you're defending a child molester. I can't believe you're defending a murderer. Um, I can't believe you're defending this person who beat up his girlfriend or who, um, whatever the charge may be, or robbed the store. So do you, real quick, just for my own uh, clarification, the criminal defense work that you do is for criminal defense lawyers. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Got it. Correct. Um, So basically, just because you're charged with a crime doesn't mean that you actually committed the crime. There are hundreds and hundreds of people sitting in prison right now that are innocent, that, right. were, that were convicted. And with uh, the Innocence Project is what I'm thinking of mm-hmm. that I've seen so much about lately. Do you do anything with them? I have in the past. I haven't recently. I've done some work with the Innocence Project um, by referral from other investigators who needed help on different cases. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the Innocence Project is, uh, my understanding, is either pro bono or charitable. Right. And, and so, or reduced rate. Um, I do reduced rate work, but I'm, you know, I am a, I am a sole proprietor, so I can't really do a lot of pro bono work. Right. I'm not, you know, I don't have a retirement program or a pension from the government or law enforcement or any other business. This is what I do. Yeah. So I can't really do a lot of free work, but, um, I do give back and I do like these missing cases, right. Um, that, that I work through. KIC. I've had my own in Atlanta and, and I worked through KIC and, um, I don't really get paid for those cases. I get my expenses paid if I need to fly out to wherever yes. and, or my hotel, um, parking at the airport. Uh, so basically all expenses paid, but not the hourly, not hourly. Right. It would be crazy. I mean, it would be so, you know, we get a lot of criticism or KIC gets a lot of criticism. Yeah, for I was about to say KIC scamming up. people out of yes. their money, you know, and, you know, it, it's nobody's scamming anybody. Well, they just don't realize that, especially with the team that Phillips put together mm -hmm. um, and the people that we fly in mm -hmm. or fly to the states or whatever the case is, mm -hmm. is, you know, they're all different states, mm -hmm. pretty much all of us, except for here locally. Yeah. And so... Um, Tracy Sargent, Tracy has her own company in, in, um, Georgia, and she's also licensed under my company. And we've done a lot of work together on KSE cases, as well as my own cases. And I've been on with her on some of her cases. And, uh, Tracy's a wonderful person, very smart, very, uh, knowledgeable, wonderful dog handler. And so when we travel, we usually travel together and we take the dog and we get on a plane and so all of those expenses have to be paid by someone. Right. It's not that we're padding our pocket and lining our bank accounts and, and going out and, and, which know. I think is what a lot of the, our quote followers or I don't want to use the word stalker, but <laughs> the people that try to bring us down for mm -hmm. what we, for the good that we're trying to do for individuals and the families of the missing and correct to find the missing children, persons, whatever mm -hmm. that looks like true it's it's we're not getting rich off this business by no. by any means no not at and all especially the missing business right. because you put way more time into it than you ever get compensated for and it's more of um it's more of a giving back for me i mean mm -hmm. i can't i can't work cases like this every day because i do have to make a living and pay right. my bills exactly so um that's what i do back in atlanta you know i i have to very carefully structure my scheduling and my time and my resources to be able to do some of these cases, um, these missing cases. So it's, um, you know, going out and interviewing people is, is a process. There's, um, there's a lot of, um, silence that real quick. I was about to say it's vibrating the table so I can yeah. hear it. <laughs> Sorry. I'll put it on the floor. No, you're fine. Um, <laughs> that's okay. I know I don't hear half of what it because sorry I'm a little hoarse today and my ears are stopped up, but I didn't hear that. But um, going out and interviewing people and spending time on these cases. And when we've been to California, we've been to Idaho, we've been to Oklahoma, a uh, couple cases in Texas. Yep. Um, it's it's not it's not cheap. No. So it's not that anyone's making money, and th there are so many stalkers out there that are very critical and. I get some of their complaints, but I don't get a lot of it. And um, 
look, some of sometimes it is justified. I mean, I even, of course, I'm always on social media. So I, mm-hmm. you know, at one point had to distance myself from <clears throat> a lot of the craziness of social media um, revolving one or two specific cases. But I, I do get sometimes what people are trying to say, like I understand yeah. it. But then at the same time, I'm like, you actually have no clue what work is put in. The fact that, I mean, I know for myself, I answer phone calls literally at 3 a.m. in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. for tips. Like, it's not, it's not for the faint of heart. And to try to discredit the work that we're actually doing is infuriating. It it is. And, and. I've gotten, you know, sometimes I'll scroll through social media just to see what people are saying. And it's, and it's very disheartening sometimes to see the criticism and the armchair quarterbacking, the armchair detective work, the taking things out of context. Um, You know, I was going to, I just spoke at a conference in Florida last week, actually, the Florida Association of Licensed Investigators. And I actually, um, I've, I've spoken there twice. I did last year and I did this year. This year was on ethics because um, I, I feel very strong about ethics. And some of the things that I'm seeing right now on social media are so beyond the realm of ethics that it it's really bothering me. And I know that there's going to be people out there, you, you know, <laughs> I, I, some people just don't know what they're talking about. Some right. people will take a rumor and turn it into what they perceive as fact. And it's not, it's, 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 it's like, I will give a, 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 for instance with, you know, and I didn't really want to talk about a specific case, but I'll talk about Tom Brown for just a second. Mm-hmm. The, um, well, there's lots of speculation in that one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, I saw a girl and I won't name her, but I saw a girl's post um, recently in the last month. And she said that, that I was lying because um, in one breath, I say Pine Gregory wouldn't allow us at the end of Lake Marvin Road. And then the next breath, I say it was the Rangers and the sheriff who would, who told us to stay away from the end of Lake Marvin Road. So I actually sent her a private message and I said, you're, you're mistaking two different events. Both of those happened. I didn't change my story. I didn't lie. Um, we were told in a meeting um, with the sheriff and the ranger and the, our whole team that we need to stay away from the end of Lake Marvin road because they had an operation going on down there. Right. A drug operation, a drug operation. Mm-hmm. And that, um, that they had exhausted Lake Marvin road and that we were wasting our time. Yep. That's so true. it's kind of like Br'er rabbit. Don't throw me in the briar patch. Right. Yes. So we walked out of there and like, what was that all about? And we and, walked out of there and said, the number one thing we're focusing on is Lake Marvin. Road. Exactly. Cause we were being steered away from there. And then, you know, during our search, Pine Gregory was out there and um, he deterred us from going to the very end of Lake Marvin Road. So there were two different distinct events, but the interpretation of those events got twisted into uh, that we were lying and changing our story. And that's not true at all. And as far as the Canadian record goes, I mean, I've talked with Laurie. I like Laurie. I think she was being used as an as a um um, a mouthpiece for the sheriff. He was telling her things about the case that were, I don't think were true, but she, um, you know, here's his statement. She would put it out in the media. Um, the recorder versus the phone. There was a lot of controversy, but she just did a whole editorial on that, which I, I, I found it very amusing because one person told us it was a recorder 
One yeah. person told us, didn't tell us it was a recorder. One person told us it was a phone. A phone. And Correct. then another person told someone else that it was a recorder. And there was a lot of misunderstanding about it. Uh, it doesn't mean that we were lying, that no. was, we were searching for a phone. Right. I mean, that's what we were told in our interview with that person. And so that's what we were looking for. And when the recorder issue came up, I feel like that was what they were told. Mm -hmm. So we were told one thing, they were told one thing. And then Correct. somehow that's been misconstrued to, oh, Phillip's lying or Klein Investigations is lying or Jane's lying or whatever that mm -hmm. looks like. And that's what I tried to convey in our town hall meeting, too, is that the day Tom's remains were found, um, we got a text message from the guy from TextDot who said, was, were his remains found near where we told you we um, found a phone? Which we have so, which proof we of. do have proof of. I mean, of. we and have so, the screenshot. You know, it's, it's a lot of confusion. It's a lot of misinterpretation. It's a lot of he said, she said. And, and that's, that's part of an investigation. You have to weed through the junk to get to the truth. Right. And, you know, all this emphasis on we're trying to protect our client. That is so far from the truth. Well, anyone that knows KIC would know that we always look at our clients as pretty much the first initial people in general in Absolutely. any investigation. I do that in my criminal defense investigations. I will do as much investigation on the defendant as I will on the alleged victim in a case. And because who, who's determined who's lying? You know, if, if something was stated one way one day and the stated a different day, another day, it doesn't mean they're lying. Right. It's like in my interviewing, um, you, everybody looks at an event from a different perspective. You can have a shooting on a corner and one person may be south of that shooting. One patient person may be north of the shooting. One person may be in a window looking down on the shooting. Everybody sees it from a different perspective and believe it or not, everybody's going to have a different story of what happened. And you have to go through those interviews and you have to compare what they're saying and you have to try to come up with what is the truth of the matter. It's not that it's not that anyone's lying about it. It means that they're they're looking at it from a different perspective. If someone said that they called the police at 2:15 but they called them at 2:30, that doesn't mean they're lying. It is the truth but it's the difference between fact and truth. I mean, if you believe something, it can become the truth. Yes. Does it mean it's a fact? Could be, you know, um, going back to the grand jury, investigational grand jury. Yes, there is such a thing as an investigational grand jury. You know, we've had these little, they, I believe they're fake profiles on Facebook stalkers who are, um, there's no such thing as an investigational grand jury. If a grand jury is going to convene, they have a suspect in mind. That is not true. No, most grand all. juries do have a suspect in mind and the purpose is for indictment to listen to evidence and indict. The investigational grand jury is strictly that is to take testimony under oath from everyone to determine the facts of a case. And if something comes out of that grand jury that, that promotes a particular suspect, then they'll look at that suspect and have an indictment. Right. But, and, you know, I think when it comes to the whole issue about the grand jury, um, <clears throat> where they were trying to say, whoever it was, um, that we were lying about that or that um, that was never going to happen, that we were never told that. Mm -hmm. And I think 
if if I've learned one thing, and I'm sure you probably feel the same way, but mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong. If I've learned one thing since starting all of these missing persons cases back, what I'm 14 years, 14 years in now, mm-hmm. is that when we have conversations with whoever, there's always either another person present or we record it so that we can revert back to it for our own knowledge correct, and our own understanding and be able to verify the facts of how the conversation went. And I feel like that's so important to, to acknowledge in the middle of all of this is because while they're sitting here saying, oh, grand jury was never going to happen. There's no such thing. There were two people privy to that conversation with that particular law enforcement agent that mm-hmm. told us that, mm-hmm. if not three. And, so, and written communications. So, exactly. And so, so mm-hmm. where is it that we are the ones lying about it? I know. We I didn't wish they would have anything. an investigation on grand jury because, you know, did Tom commit suicide? I, I, I can't. I just can't see it. There's just nothing there. And and for the attorney general's office to come in and have this meeting and say that that um, they were inconclusive of what happened, but he searched a suicide hotline. And if you listen to the recording, which is floating around now of that meeting, I questioned that, you know, if if the phone was sent to the FBI for an analysis, which I'm not sure, I think they use Celebrite to analyze, do a forensic analysis on a telephone. And then a different agency gets the case and then they determine they want to do another forensic analysis with a different company. And in this particular case it was gray key and gray key found that he went into incognito mode while he's driving around with friends at night, searching for suicide hotlines. One if someone's going to commit suicide, they're not going to go into incognito mode because they're not going to be here to care if someone searches their phone, right? And number two, if the FBI is such a prestigious agency and can do so many things so grandiose, then why are they not using Grey Key? If their own program did not pick that up, then why are they using that program? None of that made sense to me. So this is totally irrelevant, but I am <laughs> positive that I just had a lawsuit come across my desk this past week against Grey Key. And oh, really? Yes. Well, now that you're talking about it, I'm like, where did I see Gray Key recently? And it's a lawsuit that came by that we were mm-hmm. serving papers on someone specific. But mm-hmm. I, I mean, you have a good point there about, well, if the FBI can't break into it, then how can anybody else? There is no evidence that Tom committed suicide. There's no evidence that he did not commit suicide. So saying that he did and the family's responsible for his, the cover up is, is, you know, it's like the, the game of gossip, you know, literally do this, do this little game, put a piece of paper, write out a little scenario, has someone read it and don't give it to them and then have them tell it to the next person. By the time he gets back around, the story's going to be completely different. And that's what we run into every day. And it's, and it's very frustrating to, to see, so much conjecture and so much put out on Facebook or social media that's not even accurate at all. Well, no. And as we're, as we're sitting here doing this podcast, I'm getting multiple text messages right now um, regarding something coming soon for the Tom Brown case. Mm -hmm. Um, And I sit here and I read this and I can only think that, it's just, a, again, a nothing but a bunch of hoopla and 
I don't even know what to say about all this, which you don't have your phone. So you're not seeing this, but it's being sent to you too. So oh, really? Okay. Um, anyways, it's, it's interesting, but nonetheless, nonetheless, I just, you know, everybody has this obsession with true crime, reality TV, um, missing persons cases. If, if there wasn't this, obsession with it there wouldn't be so many podcasts out there on right. true crime I mean I oh my gosh there's thousands and listened to anatomy of murder the other day it was like really it was very interesting from a different perspective mm-hmm. but it, it's very you know I just started a jury trial on Monday and one of the questions that we always ask the jury is do you watch true crime shows on tv do you watch csi or the first 48 or any of these true crime dramas. And it's amazing. Some people are just addicts. They say, I watch them all the time. That's all I do. So you, 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 one of the things we try to, um, everybody laughs when they ask the jury that question because they, sometimes the juries, the people who watch these true crime um, reality shows on TV, it's not that way. That's not reality. Yeah, it's not. No, I'm, I'm totally into, you know, in Texas here, everything's on YouTube. Yeah. All the, all the courts are on YouTube oh. and that may be throughout the U S I don't no, know. It's but, not in Georgia, but I would love it. Well, <laughs> here in Texas, it's my, it's my new go-to every morning. If I'm, you know, just doing busy work or, mm-hmm. you know, doing all the boring stuff on this side of the business, mm-hmm. um, I will sit there and just watch it or I'll like listen to it in the background and I'll get involved like you know, emotionally involved in these like family cases and these Mm -hmm. jury trials. But I love the voir dire process of jury selection. I'm like totally into it. And one of my things is reading people. So how you are so good at interviewing. And I I know we've done this in multiple cases where you'll be the interviewer and then I'll be sitting on the couch Mm -hmm. watching them looking for cues of what they're lying about. And like, right. And sometimes body language is not, is not a, it's not a, science. I mean, it's not, if someone looks up to the right or to the left, it doesn't mean they're being deceptive or they're being truthful. Right. Depends on if they're right-handed or left-handed. It depends on what, what are their yes. normal mannerisms. But yeah, it's, Vordire is very, very interesting. And we just did one earlier this week. And, um, you know, it, there's some people who, you know, you don't always get the people you want on a jury. Right. And, uh, I don't know. It, it doesn't were, always pan out the way you No, And there were a couple of people on our jury. This was a murder trial and a couple of people in our jury. One was, had served many times as a combat medic in, in Afghanistan. And, and, um, he did not want to be on this because, you know, he's, he may suffer from PTSD. I don't know, but he's seen a lot. He's seen death. He's seen guts and he's seen, you know, friends getting killed. And that's hard. That's hard to live with. And to get on a murder trial, it was, um, he did. He got picked. I felt bad for him, but he got picked. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, I usually get cut from anywhere around here. I, so. I was listening to the one, of, <laughs> one of our jurors was a, was a DA in another County and, um, an assistant district attorney in another County. And yeah, he got, he got dismissed very quickly. Well, but. you know, uh, we recently went, um, I say recent, the end, I guess, end of 2021, um, when we went to court for one of the lawsuits, mm-hmm. um, and then we had a judge that was assigned to our case in our county, Jefferson County. Mm-hmm. And I looked at that, I said, oh, uh-uh, absolutely not. Like, just no. No, there's, <laughs> so. you know, and, and it's usually, um, 
it's usually, um, it's a very interesting process, but it's, it's usually you get a fair juror, jury, jury. Yeah. You, you'd really do. And it's, uh, yeah, I need to find out how that, the end of that trial happened because I left town. But um, anyway, and that's another thing I want to talk about with criminal defense is, um, I think I said it early on, some people say, how can you, um, how can you defend a child molester? Well, we have four amendments who, who protect people who've been charged with a crime. The fourth amendment for unlawful search and seizure, fifth amendment, um, they, um, which, you know, I plead the fifth, you cannot, you're not required to give incriminating evidence about yourself. The sixth amendment's right to, a uh, speedy trial and you get, you have to, I mean, you have the right to um, face your accuser and confront witnesses and have that, have others testify on your behalf. And then the 14th amendment, um, you can't deprive someone of life, liberty or property without due process. So even if someone confesses to a crime, I had this, this was the first time I came across this with an attorney. He, someone, uh, it was a child molestation case. And he said, I need you to go interview these people. He's already confessed that he did this. But he's changed his story. He's recanted his confession and he wants a jury trial. If we don't go interview these people who may be alibi witnesses, they could be character witnesses, then we have failed and he could get a uh, reversal of a conviction on appeal or a motion for new trial based upon ineffective counsel because he could come back and say, I gave him these people to talk to and he didn't. So we have to do that. Hmm. Um you know, I had a discussion with someone not too long ago about a um, trial that I was involved in. It was a child molestation trial. And in the process of Vordier, I noticed that I had um, a neighbor who was on the jury pool. He didn't make the jury, but um, he was, he was, wasn't picked. And then a couple of weeks later, I was at a, um, at an event. And I ran into another friend who said that she was on a um, jury panel the same time that my neighbor was. And I said, oh, did you must have been in a different courtroom. She goes, I was. I said, well, did, um, did you get picked? She goes, oh, no. When they were interviewing me, it was a child molestation case. And she said, that just totally disgusts me, which it is a disgusting charge. It really is. But she said, I told them that if that I had already formed my opinion and if he had molested my child would be having a um, funeral instead of a trial. And so I asked her, I said, you formed an opinion without hearing any evidence. And she said, of course. I said, well, just because someone's charged with a crime doesn't mean they committed it. They may have, but they're, they're being denied due process if a jurors have already formed an opinion before any evidence is presented. Um, just like I said earlier, many people are sitting in prison right now for crimes that they did not commit, but a jury uh, found them guilty because of the evidence that was presented to the jury. And not all evidence can be presented to the jury. So I said, well, let me give you an example. If your son was off at college and he broke up with his girlfriend and the girlfriend made an outcry that he had raped her as a revenge claim. Would you think he was guilty of the rape before his jury was picked? And she just looked at me and I'm thinking, 
okay, people need to look at criminals in a different manner. I mean, criminals are criminals and I'm not, I'm not taking up for any criminals. That's for sure. But just because you're charged with a crime doesn't mean you committed the crime. Um, you, I've, I've worked criminal defense cases that allegations were made against someone as a vendetta, um, horrible allegations. And I've even had one of my cases where he was convicted of this allegation was sentenced to prison for 15 years. But luckily, um, we got a, um, a, an appellate attorney on the case who took it. He got him. Um, he never went to the prison system. He was out on bond pending appeal. Um, he never went through the appellate process. We did a motion for new trial and based upon evidence that was not presented at the original trial, we were able to get him a new trial and they did not prosecute it because we found that the, the alleged, alleged victim, um, this was not her first rodeo. She had made these accusations against almost every boyfriend that she had prior to this one. And it was the same manner. And so it, it's, uh, you have to be very careful about depriving someone of their due process. And that's one of the things that I'm a, a big advocate for. I mean, they, you know, searching a, a home without a search warrant to get evidence. That's just, it's, it's a violation of the law. Right. So basically you keep, don't violate the law. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I criminal criminal defense investigations. I'm not versed in it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I do more family type investigations and, right. and children um, related. But I do see, like for instance, I mean that's kind of what what you were just saying. We're seeing right now in a new case that mm-hmm. we have just gotten that you've worked with. And while we're not going to release names and locations and anything Mm -hmm. of that nature, because this is very new and very fresh. Um, I'm seeing that where our client is being accused of things that are not what we have found so far, not valid true, or not substantial. Mm -hmm. So I see it, even though like you use the reference of the sexual molestation or a child molester or things of that nature. I mean, I see it even through a lot of our missing children or kidnappings or things of that nature, missing, even missing persons. Mm-hmm. Um, you do see where people are being accused of things that resulted in their children being taken away. Right. So I get it. It's frustrating. Yeah. It's, it's, if you, if your children are taken away, there should be an investigation before it's done unless it's an emergency situation. And, and, and in this case, it, I, I can't see it was an emergency situation. Well, and then, you know, but what constitutes an emergency situation, in my opinion, here in Texas, Mm -hmm. um, again, this case did, it's, I don't know, I guess it did technically originate. It originated in Texas. It did. Um, It, it, started in Texas. And so, um, I sit here and I look at what we know thus far Mm -hmm. and there is, from my understanding of what constitutes an emergency Mm -hmm. did not happen. There was no emergency in order for these children to be taken away from this parent. So, um, that's a very fresh case. I spent four hours on 
Wednesday conducting an interview on this case. And, you know, like I said, there's two sides to every story and then there's the truth. Right. So I got one side of the story. Then I'm going to get the other side of the story. That's my next step. And then try to differentiate between the two and what's the truth. And that's what I do in all my interviews. I have to compare and um, what people say and then give them a chance to reiterate what they say to see if they have an opportunity to edit what they say or add to what they say, because sometimes they remember stuff later. Mm -hmm. But in that particular case, um, I, I, it's, it's a very complicated case and um, I'm sure. Well, and there's, while you've been doing the interviewing, I've been doing background history Mm -hmm. and different levels of what is in the background Mm -hmm. don't add up either. No. Um, So, there's a lot of layers to this. And, you know, it's so funny because earlier we were, we were talking about how, you know, where you were licensed and Mm -hmm. I'm licensed in Georgia under Mm -hmm. you. And um, people often wonder, well, why do y'all do that? Well, A, because it it gives you a more variety of types of things you can work and and connections and uh, all in the investigative world, which is relatively across the U S pretty small on the grand scale. Mm -hmm. Um, but also a lot of cases that may originate in Texas end up in Georgia, or exactly. if they originate in Georgia, end up in Texas and even Alabama. I know mm-hmm. that we've gotten a few that originated in Texas that were in Alabama that mm-hmm. we've asked you to help with because you're mm-hmm. licensed there. So, right. you know, and then that brings up a whole, I mean, there's just, it's such a small world. So the cases that we do see and cases that you see vice versa all end up connected somehow. They are connected and, and it's, you know, the, the investigative world is, is very complex. People, um, people specialize in different things in the investigative world. Right. Um, one person may not agree with the technique that you use on a certain case that may, they may have a different technique. It doesn't mean either one is wrong and it, it, the, the, the scrutiny though, sometimes, you know, Sometimes in cases that we work, it's very, um, some things are put out on social media, uh, or the news or the media. I mean, and keep in mind, media sells advertising. It's like the Tom Brown case and Skip Hollinsworth. Love him. He sat all day in my kitchen and we talked and interviewed and he's, he's a very, he's a very, um, very well-respected writer and I respect him tremendously. And he's very likable too. He's very I mean, He's a very nice person. He's very good. And he did the Tom Brown podcast and, you know, some things were exaggerated a little bit and I think it ticked off Philip a little bit. <laughs> But well, but it, it's it's sensational. It's I mean, you, sensational. They're have... sensationalizing something that wasn't accurate in mm-hmm. the in the terms of. I mean, not everything was accurate. Some things were really good. I, I thought he did an excellent job on that. Um, but you know, like the news media, the headlines on the news media, just because it's the headline on the news doesn't mean that it's that's what happened. Um, you know, so it's. I do federal work. I do you know, gun trafficking cases. I do drug trafficking cases and, and the government's not always right. I respect law enforcement tremendously. I have friends in law enforcement. I'm a pro law enforcement person. I'm a pro law person. Um, but sometimes they just get it wrong. And, you know, I've had people released from federal cases that had nothing to do with nothing. And we proved it but they were just put into this big indictment with 20 other people um, 
for what, what reasons, I'm not sure still. But like I said, um, I, be very careful with what you read on Facebook. Be careful what you read in the newspaper. Be careful what you read in um, anything that you do because it's from one person's perspective. And I exactly. know that some of these people on Facebook, they don't like Philip. They don't like me. They don't like you. They don't like somebody else. And their perspective is going to be biased based upon that. And, you know, we don't go around the country scamming people. It's no, just, <laughs> we definitely don't, man. The time that I've taken away from my own children, my know, husband, right? my other family members that don't include my dad, uh-huh. you know, obviously if I'm working, I'm usually with him. Um, the amount of time taken away from those events and my kids school and mm-hmm. things that I would love to be at, but instead I choose to right. do this job and I choose to do it for a reason. And so to hear these people that don't know us, that don't know the background history of these cases, that see what is put out, just like you said, on Facebook or the mm-hmm. news or t- a television show that, I mean, for instance, I, I keep going back to that Ember Graham case when we had the, um, I can't even make, maybe it was Crime Watch Daily and they spent three hours interviewing me, mm-hmm. three hours, and they didn't air one minute of it. Uh-huh. And yeah. I'm like, that took three hours of my day that I wasn't paid, that I wasn't nothing completely, Correct. completely edited out because basically it was, I wasn't giving them what they, it the, didn't fit this, the narrative it did not of the fit show. Because it's a show, it's exactly. an entertainment venue. It's, and they wanted to blame the parent that shouldn't have been blamed for everything. And mm-hmm. I, I, I revert back to that all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't like, I just, I don't. I don't like it. I don't like the people that choose to choose what they want to hear and want mm-hmm. to see, but you don't know the truth. No. And I've, I've watched the, the podcast or the, um, the reality TV crime watch daily. I did a couple episodes with crime watch daily. I've done one from Atlanta on the reveal on a missing case. I've done mm-hmm. several, um, Dior Kuntz case, uh, with CNN. Right. And it's, it's, um, they air, they, they edit and they air what's, going to attract their audience the most mm-hmm. and, and what they want their narrative yeah. to be that fits what's going to bring the viewers. Exactly. And I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying that, that things are edited and things are taken out of context sometimes. Right. And it's, it doesn't mean it's wrong. It just means it's out of context. So, uh, you know, I'm sure that I'll get a bunch of back backlash on what I'm saying today, but I, I really, I don't care what the armchair investigators say on Facebook. I really don't. Um, now there's a different level of what's going on on Facebook that is totally wrong. And I'm not even go there today. Cause I don't really, wanna, you I don't, don't want to go there. I mean, we've got time. <laughs> Are you sure you don't want to go there? Um, I think there's a lot that still is yet to unfold legally legally unfold yeah there is and so i that's why i don't really want to go into that today well that will probably be a whole nother podcast (laughs) on a whole separate day and you know the people speculate oh they're they're talking about this or they're talking about that you don't know what we're talking about (laughs) but but they probably have some good guesses some good guesses but you know things are happening and and it's sometimes sometimes we say too much 
and sometimes not enough. And right. I don't want to say too much. Today. Well, what I will say is that the investigative world is very small mm-hmm. and we all, let me put it this way, the very well-respected investigators and companies work together, contract each other out, mm-hmm. um, talk weekly, mm-hmm. some, some talk daily. I mean, there's quite a few that I speak to almost on a daily basis, just yeah. out of respect of our job and what we're doing and what we help each other with. And I think um, that needs to be kept in the forefront of a lot of people's minds mm-hmm. in the near future as things unravel. Um, I think there's going to be things that will be coming out, mm-hmm. you know, over the course of the next days, weeks, maybe months, hopefully not a year. Hopefully See, we don't get to I that point. I just talked about it in my ethics presentation in Florida mm-hmm. is that, Invest they get investigative world is a very um there's good investigators, there's bad investigators. There's good cops, there's bad cops, there's good attorneys, there's bad attorneys, there's good and bad in every industry, and there's good dentist and bad dentist. I mean, you name it, there's good and bad. But in our industry, it is fairly small, um, considering. And number two, we are in this together. We're working as a team. If I can make you better and I can teach you something, then I have succeeded in helping because if we're all in this together and we teach each other and we learn from each other and we respect each other, then we get way further than if we don't. And one person can change the image of the entire industry. And um, I'll give plugs to Katie, uh, Kitty Haley on that. Kitty Haley is a very well-respected um, ethics uh, teacher. Uh, she's an investigator. And she wrote a book on professional ethics for private investigators. I used um, her book for um, my outline in my speech last week. Um, And that's one of her quotes in the book. One person, and I mean, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it in front of me, but one person can taint the image of the entire industry. And um, I'm, that really irritates me, but it's true in every industry. Well, that is true. And I think, you know, in our industry, right now we're seeing it more than ever. So, mm-hmm. um, but on that note, thanks for being here today. Thank you. And thanks for doing this with me. It's been fun. And, um, I hope it gives our listeners a little bit of a change of, um, not having Philip today. I think this is only his second podcast he has not done. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, he's and, a, and a busy man. And people don't hear from me. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy to, to be here to, um, kind of tell you who I am. I mean, I have, accusers out there on Facebook that I'm, I have a fake profile and they've, they've banned me from this. Oh page yeah. Let's just clear page. that air right now so that <laughs> we can just like, we're, we're putting it out there. Okay. It, you are not a fake person. You do not have a fake profile. It says we, Patty Lane. It does say Patty the, Lane, but can you explain why it says Patty Lane? Yes. My original Facebook was, I think, I don't know. When did it come out? 2009, 2010. I think so. Yeah. And it was under my real name. And then, um, the more work that I did with KIC, I inherited your stalker. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, he's, he's gone now. <laughs> he's gone he's now. Dead. So I, I, um, I changed my Facebook profile to a, a derivative of my, um, investigative company name. So it's Patty Lane and I have what, 300 and something friends on Facebook. They all know who I am. I've had, I cha- I think I changed that in maybe 2013 or 14. 
So it's been that way for about eight years. It's been that way for a long time. You know, one thing I saw was that like your profile picture is an emoji. And so a lot of people will say, oh, well, if you have a profile picture that's not your real picture, then you're fake. Why do I want my real picture out there? Well, as an investigator, I get a picture off of other things and posted them on some vile websites, which have been taken down. But it's, I don't, who needs to know? Everything about everything you. about me. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's my life. I mean, so for it's my you, personal profile. Exactly. And so for those that sit there, I would name names, but I'm just not going to go there today. Right. Um, but I know eventually they'll listen to this or get a clip of it or hear it somehow or be told, hey, blah, blah, blah. They're talking about you. You know who you are. Mm-hmm. And so here she is. MJ Holmes. Jane Holmes. Patty Lane. Patty P.I. <laughs> What was I was about to say G.I. MJ, uh, you name it. It's, it's, you know, I mean, I, I, I told this to someone, you know, MJ's fake. I said, no, my name is Mary Jane. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always dad, called you MJ. My dad called me MJ growing up. Right. Uh, so it's not, um, I'm not hiding from anybody. It's just different names that people call me. And I know it sounds weird to most people, but you know, I can look at Facebook profiles and see every all the fake ones on there too but i mean i'm not fake aka larry cousins (laughs) yeah larry i think larry i I got my own version of larry's a funny girl yeah i know right um anyways all right guys well thanks so much for listening today um if you have any questions or you want to follow up on anything on this episode with mj then you can um write into us you can call um our phone number 409-729-8798 extension two is working. If you cannot get through on 102, then just press two. Leave us a message. We will play your message. We will answer your questions. Jane, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Make sure that you um, are subscribing to our podcast and like us on Instagram at Klein Investigations. That's where we post anything Klein Files, but you can also find the Klein Files on Facebook for any updated information. We will see you in two weeks um, back here with Philip. We'll be back at that point. We'll see you then. Bye.